it was just wonderful, this ministry this morning. I, I, I feel it was really God softening us up a little. I'm not saying in perfect anticipation of me preaching, but anticipation of His Spirit moving. So I really do just want to follow up what I think what was shared um, this morning, just to really say, just have an open heart this morning. I've been asked to um, follow on on the teaching of the Beatitudes, and the, um, the Beatitude I'm going to deal with this morning is the pure in heart. And the pure in heart, um, when I went with this, um, I think this is in the wrong place, let me just move this thing. I try not to do it here because it catches. When you've got a hairy chest, you've got to watch out for these things. <laughs> Some of you don't have that problem. Um, but the, um, I, in preparing this actually was one of the toughest times I've had of preparing a message. Because the pure in heart touches on what I believe is the heart of the gospel. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It deals with a number of words that, if you go and do a search in the Bible, you will find close to a thousand times each one. Pure, heart, see, blessed. Each one of those occurs again and again and again. And um, when we talk about this beatitude, we really are dealing with what I think is the rubber hits the road. And I found it actually emotionally quite hard this week. Um, When you prepare something or you're going to teach on something, you do do an audit, or at least let me put it this way, the Holy Spirit does an audit. And I found it very difficult because I think when I look at the heart and I look at purity and my desire to see God, it came into the spotlight. And um, uh, it really is probably, uh, in all the commentaries I read, they talk about this really being a summation of what everything our faith is about. The context of this, of course, is the first time, if we look at the book of Matthew, that Jesus actually comes and starts to teach. It's his first message. It's his first theological shot across the bow of the convention of the time. And he starts off in a mountain. He starts off in a high place before he goes down to the lowlands. And he stands up and he says, blessed are. And he gives this key teaching that's there. It really is the foundation, the pillar. It's his first real saying, this is what I, Jesus, am about. This is what you need to hear about God. This is the core of my message. And that's why it's so pivotal, I think, in really understanding um, what this is about. It was Jesus' proclamation, his first time he was saying, I am Jesus, hear what I have to say. And so we really need to take it very seriously, because at this stage, Jesus didn't face any real competition or opposition. It came later. This was the time people were calling him rabbi. This was the time that the Pharisees were coming to hear what he had to say. And they didn't understand properly what he actually was saying. He was coming with a message that was truly radical, and they didn't at this time understand it. All they knew was it was profound. All they knew it was a different way of saying things. Um, But... um, he, in starting to talk this, starts to address also the context and the time that he's in. And so today, if you had to say to someone, um, if, I talk, if I talk to any of Mia's friends, and I say to any of Mia's friends or maybe some of the colleagues that you know, you say, you know, have a pure heart. What does that mean in today's world? Or be pure. 
What does purity mean to the, to the world around us? Most people today, I believe, will not see it internally but externally. They'll say, if I'm pure, it means that I eat organic products. I don't smoke. I protect the dolphins. Um, I'm a green kind of person. I fight for AIDS rights. I do things externally that make me pure. Because to go into the internal is something which people today would not do. But when Jesus was preaching, it certainly was um, a real challenging thing. They understood when he was talking about a pure heart. They understood that he was talking about something which meant it was an impact on the internal life. Now the challenge he had, and the challenge they had in receiving his message, is that everything to do in Jewish society was about observance of the law. So in other words, if, they, if you spoke to anybody in Jewish times, they would say, I am pure because I'm circumcised and I observe the law. That is where my purity comes from. And once a year I go and do a sacrifice in the temple to atone, etc. That's where the purity is coming from. Coming. But Jesus, of course, is tackling a very different purity. He's saying the purity is not external, but internal. And in that sense, it's a radical, radical message. And it's only when the Pharisees started to understand that later that they started to go, you know what, he's actually destroying our culture rather than building it. It's the reason that he started provocative. But at this time, there's no real sense of it. But it's very important that you understand that that's what he was really aiming at. It's not an external purity he's talking about. It's an internal purity that he's aiming at. And to show you how shocking that is, is that it only unravels as you go through Scripture. But if you just read a little bit on, and we're reading in um, Matthew 5, um, and you just go a little bit further in Matthew 5 to um, verse 28, Jesus at the same, so he's teaching this block on the, on, the, on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, blessed are the pure in heart. He then goes on, verse 28, he says, I say to you that whoever looks at a woman in lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now that is in complete contrast to the teaching of the day. The teaching of the day was, as long as I don't do it, I'm not guilty. But by him saying that, he was breaking uh, a principle that they had held on to very, very dearly. If you go on to even look um, at at Jesus' example where um, it's the woman caught in adultery, again, the law was dictating she should be stoned. Jesus' approach to it is to say, no, 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 no. Who is without sin cast the first stone? In other words, who has the purer heart, you or her? The nature of sin didn't matter. The issue was what your heart condition was. And that's the reason that they couldn't stone her. Because they realized that actually on a sin basis, they were equal. And that again is a complete and utter contrast to the society in the time of the day that he was going in. This caused, if you go to Matthew 19, the disciples, when he talks about adultery again in a further theme, they say, they say to him, who can be saved? The Bible says they exclaimed. They were astonished. They said, who can be saved? And the reason Jesus is coming to the point is, he's saying, don't you realize that no matter what you do, you cannot be pure. It is impossible for men to be pure. It's impossible. 
And Jesus is slowly but surely, when you look at the teachings, building to the point of saying, your purity of heart, you think you can be, but you know what? You're deceived. You can do nothing to be pure at heart. Which, of course, is a great disappointment if you put your whole life into being good. I remember witnessing to a woman who was a very devout um, Catholic, and um, she was very hard on the doctrine that you do good works. It would earn her way into heaven. And I said, I'm very sorry to disappoint you, but it doesn't win you an iota. It doesn't win you any entrance in that. I said, that's not what the root is. She, from that day on, I think she hated me with a certain passion. But in fairness to her, I had trashed her good works for 30 years. Not intentionally, but I just wanted to point her to the fact that no matter what you do, you are never, ever going to earn your right into, into heaven. You're never, ever going to be able to see God unless you have a pure heart. And guess what? You can't have a pure heart by your own effort. It's a catch-22. You know this phrase, catch-22? There was a book that came out called Catch-22. And a catch-22 is a situation where whatever I do, I can't do. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a paradox. And this is a catch-22. I need to see God by having a pure heart, but I can't, have a pure, I can't get a pure heart of my own self, so I can't see God. So I'm stuck in this terrible loop. And that is why Jesus, when they did that exclamation goes on to say immediately after it in Matthew 19, he goes on to say, with men things are not possible, but with God all things are possible. It's often miscrewed. People often use that as to justify some form of miracle working type, you know, all things are possible with God. The context of that is, is the greatest miracle of them all, is that man who's fallen can come into a relationship with God. Man who is sinful can get a pure heart to see God. That's really the context of it. God, it is possible in God to see, to see him, but only through God can, one, can that happen. So what distinguishes us, really, is not our external behavior. That's not really what distinguishes us. What distinguishes us as Christians is how we deal with sin. That is the issue. It is how we seek God that is the issue. It is not our behavior per se. That may be the fruit of it, but it is not, that is not the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is how we deal with us and how we seek him really is where the rubber hits the road. And that falls onto the most difficult area of all things, the area of motive. Have you ever tried to predict someone's motive or found someone's motive being untoward towards you? Or how have you found in your motive towards others? How has that come in? When we get into motives, we get into the murkiest place and the most horrible place of all things. Because this is why the Bible says the heart is wickeder above all things. Because when it comes to motive, that is where God really wants to work. And our motive towards ourselves and our motive towards others is a very nasty place. Because we can believe ourselves to be self-justified and actually our motive is corrupt. And the problem is, is that motives are very much driven by self-deception. Only one person can see beyond motive, and that is God. And that is why God says, I alone search the heart. I alone know what it is. And that is why it is impossible for man in himself to sort out anything. If you want to take it on a theological, philosophical level, because man cannot control his heart. The heart of men is always wicked. And God alone can set the standard and deal with the heart. But man himself can't. 
And so it's very important that if we are to see God, if we are to have Him in fullness, we have to understand that we have to lay down not our behavior, not our money, but our hearts. Because until we lay down our hearts, we will not see Him. We will not see Him in our lives. We will not see Him in everything else, in, in our character. We will not see Him anywhere. It is our heart that is on the line. Blessed are the pure in heart. This is the foundation of everything, everything Jesus did. He was continuously saying, the heart, look at the heart, etc. You need God to save you. You need Jesus to save you. Neil Young, I'm of the generation of Neil Young. Well, actually, not really. My sister is of the generation of Neil Young. Um, I'm going to pay for that, I must tell you. But Neil Young wrote a song that was such a resonance of the time. And, and the context, there was a program on the BBC just recently about it. But the context of the time that he wrote this was at the sheer disillusionment of the hippie movement. He wrote it just at the beginning of the 1970s when people had gone through Woodstock and seen everything they'd held so dear as man could do it came to a crumbling end. And he wrote this song called Heart of Gold. I want, I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. Uh, okay, And you can all say, thank God for that. I want to live... I want to give, I've been a miner for a heart of gold. It's these expressions I never give that keep me searching for a heart of gold, and I'm getting old. The problem with Neil Young is is that until he comes to Jesus and realizes that Jesus alone can give him that heart, he's going to die searching. And I think part of the tragedy is, is that for many Christians, they die searching as well for the heart of gold that's really required. Do you desire pure heart? The start of desiring a pure heart is to realize that you cannot do it yourself. You have to come to God. Martin was talking this morning, just sharing that he felt, and it was part of what Dom shared, that God is going to give a gift today. And I believe that part of the gift is realizing that you cannot earn this yourself. You cannot have pure motives yourself. You have to come to God to get it. You have to start there. That is the place it starts. You can only ask God. Those who seek a pure heart have to go to the creator of hearts and ask him through the Holy Spirit to create a pure heart in you. So let's unbundle this just a little bit more. I mentioned earlier there are four key terms that are used in this this phrase. Um, Blessed, pure, heart, and see. I'm not going to touch on blessed. That's a whole other thing in itself. But let's start with the heart. We'll start where the real rubber hits the road. Theologically, the battleground is always the heart. I've mentioned before, if I had a rattle off, do a search on heart and you will find over a thousand hits just purely on heart in Scripture. Uncircumcised hearts are making them a heart of flesh. It's just again and again and again through both the Old and the New Testament. It is not only the heart, the center of our bodies, it's also the center of our faith. It's around our hearts that everything revolves. And that's why in a peculiar way in our design, I think God put it right at the middle. Because our heart drives everything. It feeds everything. It is the pump that works everything through. And until our heart is pure, our lives aren't pure. The bottom line is this, theologically. Man trusts his own heart. Yet God says the heart is wicked above all else. Man plans in his heart, but God tests the heart and his plans. 
Man justifies himself in his heart. But God says, all have sinned. As a Christian, nothing will be achieved in your life unless the owner of your heart is God. It is the starting place. And that's a tough question. Because we sing and we talk and we do everything. But the real rubber hits the road question is, does your heart belong to God? Are there divisions or parts of it that you have held on to? Are there things in your life that you are holding on to? Does your heart really belong to God? Always there are things that you say, well, God, this far and no further. And remember that the heart is linked to motive. What is your motive towards other people or towards careers or towards each other, towards yourself? That is the test. Is it maybe greater your desire to be liked than to have a pure heart? Is your desire maybe to be accepted greater than your desire to know God? Greater than your pride. Is God greater than your pride? None of us like to be wrong. None of us like to admit where we stand or where we fall or fail or our weaknesses. But is pride, how much is pride there? Greater than your desire to be successful. Greater than your desire to be right. I like being right. I'm paid to be right. That's what my job is. I'm a consultant and people pay money because I'm right. The day I'm wrong, they say, thank you very much, bye. (laughs) But before God is, how much, where do I stand in terms of that? When our desire and he, when, when he is our desire, when God is our desire and he owns our heart, only then, only then can we see him. Until then, we only know about him. We don't know him. We can talk theologically and wax lyrical and say, this is what God is about, but until we know him, until our heart is there, we are actually just talking about someone we know as an acquaintance and not someone that we know intimately. Our hearts need to be his before we can see him. So that's the starting point, and that's the question you really, I really want you to ask today, is where's your heart in terms of God? The second is, let's look at the word pure that's used. The Greek word over there is, um, uh, forgive me here, our Greek compatriots, katharos. Katharos. Hmm? Katharos. <laughs> and it, its meaning can be pure, clean, or clear. There, it's used interchangeably in terms of what it there. And the famous psalm in Psalm 51, where David cries out, and he says, create a clean heart in me, O God, is the same wording, meaning, and also the same theology, if you look at it and go through that. He, he, the term implies clean and not dirty. So it's this pristineness, this unadulterated, perfectly clear, perfectly visible, perfectly exposed, perfectly transparent is really the root of it. And it's very interesting in Scripture, when you talk about in Revelation, I don't know if you can remember in Revelation, it talks about the people who were persecuted come into heaven and they are given robes, white robes. White robes is a common theme throughout Scripture. And again, just to give a context of the time, when you were in Roman culture, a senator, your first thing that happened to you is you were given a robe of white. The robe of white that was given to you was the sign of your authority. 
It was the sign of respect that was due to you. It was the sign of your power that was given to you. So when the Bible speaks about clothing us in white robes, it is saying that God is giving us not only something which is pristine, but something which carries with it authority, power, the ability to, 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 to live and to exercise that within your life. And that is why purity is so important. Because without it, you have a dirty robe. And one of the great challenges the Roman senators always had from getting from their homes to the Senate was to keep their robes clean. And you know what? If your robe got dirty on the way to the Senate, you clearly weren't much of a senator. It undermined your authority. People would look at you and go, he's got his robe dirty again. Tut, 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 tut. Not much of a... Not much good, isn't he? He's not very noble, is he, if his robe gets dirty from walking in the streets. That's why. It was so difficult to do, because Roman streets, you know, it all rubbish on it. But your status was enhanced, that you could walk from your home and go to your place of office and present yourself and say, look, I'm clean. I'm perfect. I have this white robe. And that, with that came the authority and the power. And that is what God wants to do with us, with purity. He wants to give you, through purity, authority. If you do not have purity in your life, you do not have the authority to break sin. You do not have the authority to see God move in your life. You have to have the robes of white, of purity over you. Otherwise, you will not have those things. That's part of the symbol and part of the image that God is leaving us with. He gives you status. He gives you honor. He gives you character. But if your robes are dirty, you lose everything. Purity is also biblically linked to metal and to refining of metal. If you do a search on pure, you will see that almost half the scriptures occur in one place in the Bible. It's in Deuteronomy, and it has to do with the preparing of the instruments that lived in the Holy of Holies. And it's all about the gold and the purity of gold that is in there. It was only pure gold that could cover or be used for anything that went into the Holy of Holies. And again, that is part of the image that Jesus is really saying to us. We need a pure heart, and a pure heart is a refined heart. Because without purity, A, you cannot be in the Holy of Holies. You cannot be in the presence of God unless you have that purity in your life. The other image that's in there is of refinement. And Kathy shared something this morning to me which I thought was profound. You know, when certain metals, when they go through, refine differently. But with gold, all of the refinement, all of the dross, all of the impurities come to the surface and it needs to be whisked off. And part of the refining work of God is to raise the really horrible things in your life to the surface. And that is in some way when actually we know we're in a good place is when we start seeing the stuff in our lives come to the surface. The challenge we have is how we deal with it. And I know that many people have been through tribulations or trials or challenges. The Bible talks about it as pressure that brings out the stuff. The biggest problem is that if you do not whisk away that stuff, that dross which comes to the surface, it resettles in the metal. And I just really want to again encourage people this morning that if you've been through times of pressure and things have come up, the key question facing you is what do you deal with that dross? How are you dealing with it? You need God to come and scoop it away and make sure that what's left is refined metal. 
certain metals that, that it actually goes back in and solidifies within it. And then, you know, you don't want to go back to the fire because you were there and you felt nothing came of it. Why did nothing come of it? Because you didn't allow God to remove the stuff. If you are feeling under the pressure of God and stuff is coming out, get on your knees and say, God, remove the stuff. Because if you don't, it's going to go back in. And I tell you what, you don't want to have that happen. Because you won't be that keen to go back into that place again. And that's part of the challenge of tribulations. And that is part of what God is saying to you. Know that purity of heart is going to involve tribulation or trial or pressure to remove stuff. You need me as God to remove that, that stuff from you when it comes through. And if you're there, only the pure can enter the presence of God. It will enable you to enter. Another image that Kathy shared with me is also is that if you think about it, the gold is very reflective. And it's also when you have that purity, you see yourself for who you are. That reflection and that light that comes from it. So it's absolutely critical that we understand purity is also refinement. So ask yourself today, am I pure on my own terms? Do I set my own standard for purity? Am I pure in my own strength? Do I lack authority? Have I found that in breaking through, do I lack authority in areas? Am I lacking in character? It's a very deep, dark one, that, because our character is continually being refined. And then finally, am I prepared to be refined? It comes down to this question, is how much do you really want to see God? Because there's no purpose in going through that unless you want to see God. That is the promise, that is the joy, that is the hope that is before you, is seeing God. Until you really want to see God, going through those things is pointless. So let's just look finally at the word see, what the Bible is teaching there. And I'm going to slaughter the Greek language here even more. Um, but the Greek word that's used, it's interchangeable, is um, optanomahi or optamahi. And um, the two words are, are, are used interchangeably in many ways. But they are, the Greek has, like the words, many words for love, it has many words for see. And the use here, the, sometimes the word see that's used is just to gaze. I'm just looking out. Sometimes it's a voluntary look. So I will say, oh, there's something, I will turn and have a look at it. Sometimes it's to look casually. Oh, what's that? Sometimes it's to look from a distance. Oh, there's something down there, but I'm not really going to be involved. That's types of seeing that are there. But this see, the words that are used here, is the seeing that is earnest. It's the seeing that demands a continued inspection. In other words, I need to continuously look at this and angle it and lift it up and understand it. It's to look, the, the implication is to look with wide open eyes. In other words, to give your full attention to it. And actually, it says it's to see something remarkable. That is what he's saying when we to see God. We are to come to God to see the wonder, to scrutinize, to understand, to see him for who he is, to see him as remarkable. That's really what he's asking. And that is what God, how God wants us to see him. If we are not seeing God as incredible, wonderful, remarkable, Truly, we are not seeing him for who he is. We must be in a position that we cannot take our eyes off God. It is intense observation. We have to watch every move. We have to be captivated by him. The same word for see here is used on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
when Moses and Elijah and Jesus came together and Jesus was transformed, the word there that the disciples experienced was they saw or they see Jesus as he was. Transformed. And Peter refers to that in his letters. But it was that which convinced Peter beyond all doubt that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was God. It was that that convinced them more than anything else. And that is what we need to see. We need to see Jesus as he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. We have to see that. Because that is the place that God wants to go. You have to see Jesus for he really is. God desires that we see him. He is amazing. We have to become captivated by him. And we must be in a position we don't want to take our eyes off him. And so the key question today is, do you really want to see Jesus for who he is? Is that really your heart? And that's why heart, purity, and seeing are tied together. Do you really desire that? That is the question. Do you really want to see him as the son of God, as the creator of heaven and earth? Do you want to see him for who he is? Um, Last year, I I wrote a poem... um, which I just felt was really apt. Um, and I called the poem Emmanuel, which, which means God is with us. And this is just a cry in, in this vein. Put the coal to my lips. Burn me. Scar me. Contort my tongue to obedience and to silence. So it is tamed, bridled, and only speaks what it hears. Dig a deep well in me, excavate me, destroy the undergrowth, drain away the swamps and bitter pools, flush me, scour me, and make the source of my words pure. I hear so many voices, I see so many banners, but I only want your voice to be heard. I want only to see you as you are. Not as I nor any other want you to be. And I felt today, um, and just in, in with Kath, uh, when we were praying before, I already felt that purity, the starting place of purity, is to do with what you want to say in your life and speak over your life. also felt it's very linked to our relationships and to our personal dynamics. Because motive is at the heart of it. I already felt, um, as the musicians, can the musicians maybe come forward? really felt that today is a day for you to sit down and say, God, I want to see purity in my life. I want to see a purity of motive in what I do, particularly in how I relate to others and particularly in what I speak and say. And um, I know that in, in any sense, every single person can respond. But I really want today that if there are things that you really feel that you need to make right, the Bible speaks very specifically that there's no time like the present. God is not, God is in our future, He's in our present, and He's in our past, but God is here today to deal with those things. And if there are things that you feel, and Martin was the, just that word that was spoken earlier, if you really feel that there is a present that you need today, I want to say no greater present is purity of heart. Because if you have purity of heart, you will see God in all you do, you will see God in everything that you have. And so I really want to encourage, just as, as we worship, that if you want to just come forward and, um, and we can pray for you, if there's something specific that you want to, want to have done, or as we, just as we worship, that you just go before God and just say, Lord, I desire to see you.
You may be even starting at the point of that, God, I don't have the passion to see you. Let this year, let this Christmas be a time that I start anew, that I start refreshed, that I start in a place of where my heart is pure before you, that next year in 2009, I'm going to walk hard and follow hard after you. All right.